For at least part of the show this week, we're going to do a little thing on pollinators. And that doesn't just mean bees. We'll, we'll kind of get into that. As an overview, pollinators are needed for the reproduction and production of about 90% of the flowering plants and about a third of all human food crops. Each of us depend on these industrious pollinators in a particular way to provide us with the wide range of foods we eat. In addition, pollinators are part of the intricate web that supports the biological diversity in natural ecosystems that helps us sustain our quality of life. Abundant and healthy populations of pollinators can improve fruit set and quality and increase your fruit size. In farming situations, this increases production per acre. In the wild, biodiversity increases and wildlife food sources increase, all due to a good healthy population of pollinators. In my area where I live right now, persimmons and peaches, onions, cantaloupes are just some of the crops that we can grow right here in our area that rely almost exclusively on honeybees and native bee populations. Domestic honeybees pollinate approximately $10 billion worth of crops in the United States each year. Before we go on, I want to mention, because this is technically, believe it or not, uh, the United States Pollination Week. You know, everybody, we have a week for everything. And I'm going to talk to you about what's local. I'm in the central Texas area, but this show now goes everywhere. And I'm going to also consider out west, because I have shows live out there on KVLF in, in Alpine, Texas, and a few other spots. But these guides are all available for you from the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. They're all four-color. You just go to pollinator, P-O-L-L-I-N-A-T-O-R dot org. Go through, you'll put your zip code in. You can get an exact listing of all the plants, well, at least a good number of the plants, the ones we think are best and easiest to grow either around your farm or even just in a, a small homestead that you might be living in. You have some property you can set aside. Unfortunately, the numbers of both native pollinators and domesticated bee populations are declining. They are threatened by habitat loss, disease, and the excessive and inappropriate use of pesticides. The loss of commercial bees due to colony collapse The loss of commercial bees due to colony collapse disorder, it's called CCD, has highlighted how severe the issues of proper hive management are to reduce stresses caused especially by pesticide use. And then there's a little thing we'll talk about later called the Varroa mite. But what we've discovered is the mite has always been with the bees, since we know. But because we now weaken our bees by the excessive use of pesticides, they're more susceptible than ever to the effects of these Varroa mites, and it ends up sometimes wiping out entire colonies. And because we actually move our bees all around the country, another factor to their decline is insufficient nutrition and then the stress of our transportation practices. For a little good news at least, currently the pollination services that the commercial beekeeping industry provides are receiving much needed research and conservation resources. The efforts to understand the threats to commercial bees should help us understand other pollinators and their roles in the environment as well. I feel it's really imperative that we take immediate steps to help pollinator populations thrive. 
The beauty of the situation, the good side of it, is that by supporting pollinators, their need for habitat, we support our own needs for food and support the diversity in the natural world. Which is better for us, of course, better for the pollinators and certainly better for the environment as a whole. Let's take a few minutes here to kind of really describe who are the pollinators. Of course, we'll start with bees. Bees are well-documented pollinators both in the natural and agricultural systems. A wide range of crops, persimmons, peaches, onions, cantaloupes. In general, almost anything that flowers can benefit, at least in some cases, from a pollinator. Most of us are familiar with the colonies of honeybees that have been the workhorses of our ag pollination for years here in the state. But I realized or found out a lot of people didn't realize these bees are not really a native. They were imported from Europe like almost 400 years ago now. Though most of us are aware of the honeybee, there's nearly 4,000 species of native ground and twig nesting bees right here in the United States alone. Some form colonies while others live and work a solitary life. Our native bees currently pollinate many crops can be encouraged to do more to support agriculture endeavors if their needs for nesting habitat are met and are suitable for their general population increase. One of the native bees that a lot of us can recognize is the bumblebee. There's several species or forms of it, but they usually live in small colonies, almost always underground. They're generalists. That means they just kind of feed on a wide range of plant material, mostly from when it starts warming in this part of the country from February, maybe as late as into November, and are one of the important pollinators for tomatoes. Another bee that we are not so familiar with, but that we definitely have heard of, is called the sweat bee. They also nest underground. And there's a various subspecies of them. They kind of form very loose colonies sometimes. And finally, you can look at some of the solitary bees. In my part of the country, we've got carpenter bees, which literally nest in wood. We have a bee called the leaf cutter bee, which prefers dead trees and branches for its nest sites. And one of my favorites is the mason bees. When they utilize cavities that they find in stems and deadwood, you can even make your own mason bee boxes. If you want to learn how to do that, again, go to pollinator.org. And finally, in the West, there's one I haven't dealt with called cactus bees. And they're also solitary ground nesters. And, of course, another pollinator we're all familiar with is butterflies. Uh, gardeners have been attracting butterflies to their gardens for some time. These insects, are usually some of them, are really beautiful. To help attract them, position your flowering plants where they have full sun and are protected from the wind. Also, you will need to provide open areas like a bare earth, open areas, large stones, where the butterflies can bask, and moist soil from which they may get minerals and moisture they need to keep themselves healthy. If you're lucky, you'll see dagger wings and American snouts. They come every fall here. Checker spots, pipe vines, swallowtails, monarchs. And they usually look for flowers that provide a little landing platform. Some of them can hover, and we'll talk about hummingbirds in a minute, but a lot of them like to land to feed themselves. I provide a little wet area of mud when I'm watering. I kind of water a, an area that will mud up a little bit. Sounds unneat, but it actually provides that moisture and minerals we were talking about to let them stay healthy. And maybe as a surprise to some, butterflies eat rotten fruit and even dung. So don't clean up all the messes in your garden at once. It's 
they're actually beneficial to your garden in their own way. And I will add here without getting too much detail, I'm going to drag this thing out too long. Moths are included in that. There's a number of moths, some that even come out only at night for certain flowers, but do just what the butterflies do for your garden. So welcome the moths. They're not quite as beautiful, some of them, some are gorgeous, as some of the butterflies, but they are really, really good pollinators for your open gardens. Charles Darwin once said that God must have had an inordinate love for beetles because we know of over 30,000 species just in the United States alone. And not all of them are just pollinators. There are, but there are some wonderful beetles that a lot of people even try to eliminate from their gardens. But if you study the beetles, you find out a good number of them are predators on the very pests that we don't want in our gardens. So for the most part, leaving the beetles alone is going to do you a lot more good than harm. Let me here just at least touch on the fact that there are thousands of species of flies. We never think about flies, but they're some of the best pollinators for our little understory wildflowers and plants that help support the overall ecology of the area. And let's not forget to at least mention the birds. Of course, everybody realizes the importance of hummingbirds because they're a primary pollinator for certain plants in some parts of our country and actually even in Central South America. Another one that is a surprise to me that I learned not too long ago, white-winged doves that we all talk about, they are actually pollinators for the saguaro cactus in the south-central part of the United States. One of the primary pollinators for that cactus. And finally, to end the list, is not a surprise if you've been out west very much, but bats. There are certain bats. One, for instance, is the long-nosed bats. I think it's called Sanborn's long nose. Known also to be a real pollinator of saguaro cactus, but also of a number of agaves, of all the other Oregon pipe cactuses. The long-nosed bats are especially have evolved to be able to delve into the flower blossoms and extract pollen and nectar and at the same time pollinate those plants. So sort of in general, in your area, and it varies according to, to where you're listening to this, go find your butterfly plants. Almost every ag department in whatever state you live in have lists of the particular pollinators, whether they're bees, butterflies, hummingbirds, or whatever. They, they will have a list that'll tell you what particular species come from your area. And these same guides will also give you a listing of both the wildflowers and the regular plants that you grow in your garden that are good for those species. And try to remember to add a clean, reliable source of water somewhere in your garden area. It can be either natural, if you're lucky, or man-made, or even just small containers of water to provide drinking and bathing opportunities for the various pollinators. Ensure the water sources have a shallow kind of sloping side so the pollinators can easily approach the water without drowning. Or I put rocks in mine. I'll put rocks that stand just above the level of the water. And finally, remember that pesticides are largely toxic to pollinators. Extreme caution. I, I, I don't use any of them, folks. I handpick the bugs off if they're in the way and I try to companion plants so a lot of the bugs don't show up and in general if you have a healthy environment healthy soil and you keep your plants healthy you don't need herbicides and pesticides 
Just if you've got to use them, I recommend you go and learn a little bit about your local area and find those that are that are least dangerous to beneficial insects. Hope that wasn't too much on on our pollinators, but since it was pollinator week, I thought it'd be a, a good subject. Be back after this with more of Organic Matters.